We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Transformative Principal Podcast, where we learn how to be an amazing educational leader. I am your host, Jethro Jones. Are you ready to be a transformative principal? I'm looking for about 10 people who are ready to do what it takes to lead with integrity, find balance, and take your school to the next level. If you're looking to improve your leadership in a measurable way, Go to transformativeprincipal.org slash mastermind to see if you qualify to join a group of like-minded people who are ready to be the best principals in the country. It's hiring season all across the country and time to dust off your interview questions. Go to transformativeprincipal.org to download 10 interview questions to find the best teachers. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am very honored today to have Rick Warmley and Todd Whitaker on the podcast. These two, I'm sure you've heard of both of them, and they are just incredible. It was so nice to sit down and talk with them, and they were very generous in giving of their time. And uh, one thing that was awesome was Todd Whitaker. Everybody knows who he is because he just gave the big keynote, and he still introduced himself to me by sticking out his hand and saying, Hi, I'm Todd Whitaker. And that was just a really cool, cool thing. So I hope you enjoy this. We talk about a lot of stuff, how you find out who your best teachers are, what you do with them, and talk a little bit about how to support them specifically, and also how to bring up the ones that are struggling. So I hope you enjoy this. Thanks so much for listening. I'd also like to mention that if you are interested in improving yourself and doing so in a way that will help you grow much faster than you could imagine, please go to transformativeprincipal.org slash mastermind where you can sign up to see if you qualify to be in a mastermind group that I am starting. And a mastermind is really about getting to know other people and their problems and working with them to overcome theirs and working with them to overcome yours. And it's a very powerful way to figure out how to be the best that you possibly can. I'm looking for some really great people to join in on that. All right, welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm here with two amazing presenters, Todd Whitaker and Rick Warmerly, and 
I'm uh, excited to have them here. They just gave a really great presentation at the National Association of Secondary School Principals. And first, I want to ask about that. Have you guys done that kind of a presentation before? Or do you typically go solo? Because you were very interactive with each other and it was supposed to be a no holds barred thing, but it was actually quite entertaining and the time went by pretty quick. So was that the first time you guys had done that or do you do that often? It was the first time that we've done it together and we truly were like on our own. We had no idea what the other person was going to say. We just wanted to ask the questions. We had a sense of generally what topics do we need to go to if we forget some topics? You know, we had a list in front of us, but it was the first time we've done it together. However, each of us has done it with other presenters before. Yeah, no, it was the first time, but I, I admire Rick so much that I was honored to just have a chance to spend some time with him. He's, he's, that, that's he's, he's the brightest mind in education, and that's the truth. Well, thank you very much for both of you being here and helping all of us that were here. What I want to do is help us understand a little bit more, but for those who weren't here especially, to be able to learn from your experiences. One of the things that you talked about was professional development and the right ways to do that. And you both had kind of different answers. Can you talk just a little bit about professional development and what makes that effective for teachers? And Todd, we'll start with you. It's funny because there are so many things about professional development and it needs to be individualized. It needs to be in a flipped manner. It needs to be ed camp. It needs to be, and it really just needs to be good. We have all gone to things where it was a whole group presentation and it was really good. Yeah. And we've gone to things where it was a whole group presentation and it wasn't really good. We've done things where it was one-on-one and it wasn't very good. And we've done things that were one-on-one that were exceptional. You've done things online that were a total waste of time. And you've done things online that really helped your learning. So it is never the style that we take. It's whether or not it's very good. And, and that's what we have to think. The other point I think that's essential is principals have to understand they're the determinant if professional development is ongoing. You can have a two-minute video clip at the first faculty meeting of the year and weave that into everything you do the rest of the year as a reminder of this. Or you could literally send teachers to a two-week professional development. They come back all excited. They run to share it with you. You raise an eyebrow funny, and they never mention it again. You're the determinant of whether or not professional development is ongoing. And that's important for a principal to keep in mind. I agree with everything Todd just said, and I I want teachers to own it, though. So the one place I, I might differ is, yeah, the principal is in charge to make sure that it's happening. But I think the principal's role is to facilitate so that the teachers make sure it's happening. The teachers rotate through and do the, all these things. And I, I like this idea of it's in sight, it's in mind. And if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. So if you're really going to go for something, it's in sight. It is, you are total immersion. I mean, I am not above. You go in the teacher's lounge bathroom. You sit down to do your business. You close the stall door. You're a captured audience. And there's a new little article up there you can read while you're doing your business. That level of commitment, every single meeting opens with it. Every department meeting, every grade level meeting, a parent meeting, newsletters have a little corner dedicated to it. It is just, it permeates our our, our, our pores. Would you agree with that? Uh, completely. And I, if I said principals determine staff development, what it is, I was misspoken. They determine if it's ongoing. Yeah. So it isn't that. The teachers can develop it, yeah. but the principal determines, is this going to be gone? Or are we going to keep it going? Your themes, your mottos on t-shirts, in your Friday focus, every week, in tweets, in blogs, sharing it with parents, that makes it seem like it's a part of that organization. You know, it's funny, I wrote a book on school culture, and, and the author, who's the most knowledgeable person I know in the country on school culture, 
he and I disagree that he thinks it takes seven years to change a culture, and I think you don't have seven years. Yeah. But what's interesting is if today, if just today, I start treating people with respect, that's climate. If I never stop, that's culture. So I think that's part of professional development is getting it started. And then the fact that it never stops is the responsibility of the principal, in my eyes, of keeping it to the forefront, just like Rick described. I just want to add that it's also so much, as we talked about in the session today about modeling, that we actually model the very professional development we want them to do. But they were also very, very good at this thing called reframing. We we take something that's going on and we reframe it as something that's much more constructive, more appropriate. And really, one of the greatest crafts or skills are in leadership today is you ask the right questions to get the teachers to look, explore something they wouldn't otherwise explore or, or, or an insight is now revealed to make a connection. So the idea we talked about in the session, like, Hey, what if we did this for everybody with the same results? You know, uh, what do we know about X and how is that in our classrooms and why not? Your role is really to ask those questions and the teachers then can pursue it. The thing that principals must realize is they don't have to have the answers, but they do need to be consider themselves the facilitator and the A1 learner model of how to go about getting up to speed and actually practicing what, in a sense, you're preaching. Okay. So you guys also talked about Twitter chats yeah. today and how valuable those are. And can you talk a little bit about how you help teachers see the value in that when their typical complaint is, I've already got too much on my plate. I can't add one more thing on. What's in your mind a good response to that? Teach smarter, not harder. Each and every time teachers marvel when they go online, want the access to the people they respect. It could be in the field of education, authors they enjoy, whoever it is, but also fiction authors, politicians, celebrities. You now have access to people. You can ask them very directly these questions. Then you participate in some of these Twitter chats where all these big names are there you know, for one hour on Wednesday night, there's SBL chats talking about standards-based grading or learning. And then there's cold chat, uh, culture of learning uh, chat. And you get so many practical tips. So here's the deal. There's one of you trying to solve every single problem. And the collective wisdom of all of us is far superior than the one of us. And I get so many practical tips. And somebody says, oh, I actually have a little um, handout on that that I give out to my students. Here it is. Here's the URL for it. Go there and find it. And now this whole world opens up. Oh, they've got 15 videos on that. Well, let me show you that. Well, we did a one-to-one initiative. And here's what happened. You don't get that when you're in your echo chamber. It's almost like we're handing out blowtorches and say, carve your way out of your echo chamber. There's so much more out there. And what I found is teachers, yes, they're overburdened and they have no time to do it. So how remarkable are they? They do it anyway. And when they participate in the camaraderie of like-minded folks exploring the same thing, they have a renewed energy, not a drain of energy. It's like, oh, this is why I got into teaching. So I found it invigorating, not encumbering once they have some followers and they follow some others. So I have to get them to experience that because nothing motivates like the experience that you get, the positives that come back. I think the power of things like Twitter is the first people that tend to use that for professional development, and I think Twitter's the best free professional development there is, is the fact that it starts with the great people. Great people are lonely. You know, you don't have other people who care that much, who try that hard, who do that, and you look down at your grade level or your department or your hallway, and there's a chance there's no one there that cares as much as you do. Think how often in a school the most positive person goes and says, hi, good morning, how are you doing? And people go, what are you so happy about? Yeah. They want to find somebody else who feels like they do. They want to feel valued like they feel. This allows great people to find each other. 
And what's interesting is I think that you don't want to find like-minded people. You want to find people who are brighter than you, better than you, smarter than you, who care more than you. Or at least they care about the same thing. It's like working out. If you have a workout partner that's also not interested, (laughs) either one of you back out, you'll both quit. If you have a workout partner who's more dedicated than you, you're much more likely to get up to their level. And so that's part of what Twitter can do is find people who are truly exceptional. And what's really amazing is literally I can look at three of their tweets and you can know this person thinks differently, better beyond what other people think. And, and otherwise you just, it's a lonely world. Otherwise you don't find people who care that much, try that hard and you need those people. And that's what Twitter can uh, help you accomplish and find. I, you know, it just, it made me think of something. I belong to writers support groups and for writers, you know, you have an expectation. You better come with a few more pages of written text. And they're expecting you to do that. And to have that cadre, like you might have in a dissertation program or a master's program, that you're expected to show up and be thoughtful about this stuff really does light a fire under some te- teachers that wouldn't otherwise spend the time really thinking too deeply. And I think that's one of the big things is that it's so easy when you're in survival mode to think superficially and not dive deeply. And Twitter is one of the ways in a very comfortable, non-threatening way you can dive deeply into things you wouldn't otherwise be able to do. It also allows you to lurk in the background until you're ready to jump in and do something. Yeah, and that's safe. And, you know, one of the things that I've learned is that you really do need to have followers and follow other people for that to be successful. Because if you're not really following anyone, then you're not going to get anything out of it. And you are going to think it's a waste of time posting about what you ate. And it's so much more than that, right? One way to think about it for the leaders It's really funny, and all of us have seen this. It was two years ago, maybe the beginning of August, the end of July, I saw a principal, who I don't even know who it is, tweeted and said, does anyone have an inspirational YouTube clip that I could share at my first faculty meeting of the year? They sent it to me, and I all I did was retweet it. I got over 160 responses. And where did those come from? People who have watched the YouTube clips. Many of them have watched multiple YouTube clips. They've sent me the one they think's the best. And all of a sudden now on Symbaloo in my account, I have a hundred plus YouTube clips that are all very powerful. Well, that's just one example of a leader, but teachers can do that same thing. This is, this is a simple example. April 15, 2012 was the hundredth anniversary of the Titanic. About three weeks before that on Twitter, I saw a teacher that tweeted, yeah, I teach third grade. And my kids are so excited about the hundredth anniversary of the Titanic. I've put together an interdisciplinary unit that talks about linking math, science, social studies, language arts, and reading. And I just thought I'd share it if anybody else wanted to use it. Or if you have ways that could improve, it'd be helpful. 20 minutes after that, you know what I saw? I teach high school physics, and I put together a unit on the Titanic about everything we scope. You know what I saw after that? I teach K-12 music, and music was such a big deal on the movie The Titanic. I did research to find out the real songs the orchestra played on the deck of the Titanic because the kids are so excited. And I just thought... And you know what happens if you do if you follow people like that? You know what your lesson is? At least as good as theirs. And it's a lot easier to start with those, even if you wanted to change it, than start with a blank sheet of paper. And I think that's the kind of thing that's instant and powerful on Twitter. You don't have to even participate. You can be like me and just be a creeper. But it's that idea of fault. Maybe it's lurker. I don't remember, but whatever that word is. And anyhow, but you can do that and then just steal ideas all the time. But you got to find people better than you, smarter than you that know more things, know things you don't know. There's no reason to just have it the other way around. That's so empowering and and inspiring at the same moment. I mean, you just, you release 
release the Kraken <laughs> of creativity. You're ready to go back to work tomorrow. Yeah. I can't wait. Come on, let's go. Where are the students when I need them? And yes. that is so helpful because you have so many things draining things out the other side of you. Well, I imagine the teacher who just doesn't want to go back to the classroom the next day. And now you just made it exciting for them to go back to the classroom. No question. That's a great gift. So one of the complaints is that we need to be research-based and evidence-based. And if we're just getting stuff off of Twitter, how is that research-based? What's your response to that? Well, to be honest, Twitter has led to lots and lots of research references that most people would never access. Somebody said, well, yeah, I got research on that. Here's a page that lists, you know, on my annotated bibliography on this particular study. And then some people say, well, here's a new research article that came out, but notice the limitation of the study at the very end. It says it was for this particular type of student in this particular situation. So do we have causation or correlation? I mean, you enter into that kind of conversation and teachers begin to learn about validity and reliability of results and whether or not, you know, we're doing the rearview mirror effect, as Stephen White talks about, you know, trying to go forward by only staring in the rearview mirror. These things, you're now exposed to it as a highly accomplished practitioner that otherwise you would not have thought much about if you had not been exposed to the wide variety of, pe- of voices that are on Twitter. So to be honest, when I'm looking for research base, Twitter is one of the first places I go to get vetted in the research to do whatever survey I'm going to do. It's one of many that I would do as I go forward. But I think when they say it has to be research-based, yes, somebody will say, hey, here's something from my classroom. But I think the one thing that people need to realize is that not all that is wise and wonderful in education has a strong research, research-based. In fact, very little, if you look at the entirety of it, has a robust, absolutely, you do this and this is the result, research-based. Yet everybody's looking at that to find their credibility. It's kind of like when you teach someone to ride a bike. You get them up the bike, they fall over first time. And you go, well, that's it. You're going to, we're going to have to get Uber for you for the rest of your life. You know, you're a non-rider and you would never dream of doing that. You'd say, get on the bike and do it again. And then somebody stands aside, um, where's your research for doing that? You can go to research. It does validate. It really does. But the idea that the teacher is a ceaseless researcher in his or her classroom to say, look, I need you to connect the dots for me. Maybe you're the building principal or your colleague and say, you did this. What was the result on students learning? And how do you know? And if it bombed, what are you going to do tomorrow to make sure it's okay? You know, you pick up the pieces and move on. If it went well, what's your evidence, man? Are you evidentiary? Are you analytical? Are you a reflective practitioner as the national board asks us to be? And I think that Twitter gives you the tools and the impetus to do that more than a lot of other social media. Don't you love it when people use research as an excuse not to do it? I mean, that's exactly what you're describing there. They're using it as a weapon. Tell me why you feel any need to respond. You know, what's really interesting is the reason research is so limited in education, and it always will be, is because you can't have a control group. Right. You never take half the kids, lock them in the closet, teach the other half, then bring them out and compare them. Well, you can do that once, but they won't let you do it a second time. So, so tell me, instead what happens is research, research is we look, compare this year's third grade to next year's third grade, right. and it's a different teacher, different kids, different principal, different curriculum, different recess monitor, and we think somehow we've isolated the yeah. variable that's the factor. Can I tell you something? We don't, you know what you do? Research should never be a shackle. When a great teacher wants to do something, there is no research. No one's been there. You know what you do? Let them do it and you research them. Okay. Why don't we research the moon landing before we go to the moon? Why don't we wait till we have good research on the moon landing before we go to the moon? It's really that's exactly that's yeah, and that's yeah. the exact same thing. Just, just that piddly excuse, and now we're using research as an excuse not to do it. I only use it if it's research based. Well, 
you know, research pathetic because that's you. You know, I mean, it's so it's being aware of that. So, Don't use it as a weapon. That's been so politicized. Oh, it is. It is. By, over, by right. multiple administrations. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But it's just you just decide, do I want to do it or not? If I don't want to do it, show me the research. Don't you love it when in, in, and things like anything political, climate change, they go, well, there's 10 other researchers that show it isn't. It's like, oh, yeah, sure there are. You know, I mean, it's just yeah. it's crazy. And they just use it as a weapon. And that's just nonsensical. Yeah. So one of the things that we all struggle with is. How do we unclip our great teachers' wings and help them fly? And the follow-up question to that will be, how do we deal with those who are not the great teachers and provide them support or support them to find a new position? So let's start with the great teachers. How do we, how do we let them go, as Todd was just talking about, with uh, when a great teacher does something, then research the teacher. How do we let them go? Read Todd Whitaker's books. Todd? <laughs> no, he said great teachers. And he also mentioned research. So both of those things are immediately out of there. You know, what's interesting is the first thing is with great teachers is don't wait for everybody to catch up with them. Yeah. So often we're afraid to let them take it. You know, it's really funny. I had a teacher named Georgia Humphreys, best teacher I ever worked with. And one time Georgia wanted to write a grant and she was writing a grant. It was for over a million dollars for our school. And the deadline came and you know how that's what deadlines are for. And she didn't know what to do. And I said, well, I'll hire you a sub tomorrow. And she goes, well, should I stay at home and work? I go, no, no, I'll put you in the teacher's lounge and you can work there. I'll set up a workstation there and you can work there. And she goes, won't people be mad? I go, anybody else that wants to apply for a million dollar research, a million dollar grant, I'll get them a day off. Yeah. And I'll pre- I mean, and so the other thing is not let them be in isolation. The best people can never be perceived as the principal's pet, but they'd better be the principal's pet. But the key is perceived. So rather than Georgia Humphreys presenting to the faculty, I have Georgia Humphreys and two other solid middle-of-the-road teachers who are respected by the faculty present to the faculty. That protects Georgia. Privately, I let her know it's all her. But publicly, I act like it's all three of them so that that takes the pressure off of her because otherwise people want to key her car in the parking lot that afternoon. And so (laughs) I can't risk that. And so that's how you protect the good people, if that makes any sense. Think of this. If you ask your best teacher to do something, what's the chance it'll be done well? 100%. If you ask your best teacher and an average teacher to do something together, what's the chance it's going to be done well? 100%. If you ask a best teacher, an average teacher, and a loser to do something together, what's the chance it's going to be done well? 100%. Do you see how the key is that best teacher and you can set them up so they're protected and privately you can make sure they know you know? if that makes any sense. That's one example of how to work with the best people. I, I think that's true. To give them wings and so on, there is nothing stronger than a personal invitation. I noticed this about you. I was wondering if you might consider or trying doing this. That belief of the principle in you just will move mountains on so many things and so many things that were just going wrong that day just disappear because now this is the thing that's looming. He had such confidence in me. He's now engaging me or allowing me to take this risk or do these things or go in that position of responsibility. That in itself is one way to to give people wings that didn't otherwise have them. But the other thing is to run interference if they were going to go do something that was exceptional, other people who would want to keep them tied to the ground. Say, no, no, no. If you get more of this and do this, there's less of us. You know, the scarcity mindset that that Covey talks about. And I think that part of our job can be, I will take care of those issues if you want to go for it. I want to to make sure that doesn't happen. I'm going to clear the path, clear the runway so you can take off. The other reason you have to do it with your best teachers, best teachers have what I call an unlimited sum game. They think every student can be successful. Every teacher can be successful. They're willing to share because there's always plenty more where that came from. Average teachers think it's a limited sum game that they can't give this idea because that's their only idea. They have no other idea. 
but great teachers have literally an unlimited sum game. Think about this. You know, there was a big discussion not too long ago, and it still takes place. Should schools, should class look like a normal curve? Should a class look like a normal curve? And I always say, well, of course it should until you teach them. Right. And then it ought to be way skewed to the right if you're any good. And in a great teacher's classroom, that knowledge is way skewed to the right. In a poor teacher's classroom, it's still a normal, <laughs> it's but, still a normal curve is, at the end of the semester or the year or whatever. The sad thing is, though, is that bad teachers think, you know, that bell curve distribution is a sign that they were totally fair and totally righteous. And it's a sign that over half the class did less than desirable. Right. And that's what the, why the principal teaches the teachers what effective teachers do and what ineffective teachers do. And then that way they can know where they fall. I, I tweeted the other day, I've learned if a teacher gives a lot of Fs, it is a sign that someone's failed. <laughs> you know, and it's constantly having that belief system in front of your teachers all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great quote. One of the things that I've seen recently is uh, Seth Godin wrote a blog post called Instant Yes, where if somebody asks you for something and you trust that person, you know they're great, you're going to give them an instant yes. You don't even know need to know what the idea is. Right, exactly. You just need to know that it's from that person and, and follow up the yes with what can I do to help. So powerful. Yeah, and that that is what I heard you saying when you were talking about helping those great teachers. So now let's turn the focus a little bit to the poor teachers, the ones we're struggling with. What can we do to help support them and help them um, get better so that we can work, so hopefully turn them into great teachers? And if that's not possible, what are some ideas for dealing with them? Well, in my experience, there is no such thing as laziness. There's no such thing as wanting to be toxic and high-maintenance and vitriolic. They don't want to do that. So the first thing that we do is they, I realize that person does not want to be here. But many, many people don't have the tools how to crawl out from wherever they are. And, they, and so one might be the need to reframe. You know, you're looking at this, but look, here's how it's also being perceived. Oh, okay. I didn't see that. So a lot of them, they don't know when they're doing well. So I need to affirm and validate, and I need to somehow honor the wisdom they bring to the conversation and the interaction. So they're not, you know, as if I come in, and I dismiss all that they are. They're not going to listen to me at all. I need to honor at least some portion of that. And then I need to give them tools. So language to use, stepping stones to use, all you want. That's great. But I also have to give them a or help them facilitate their vision of themselves. You know, really, in, in eight months, where do you want to be with this? Let's sort of look at that. Now, what are the specific steps we can do to take you to, to get there? But I think it's okay, and you can do it diplomatically, to give them a candid view of what's going on. I did not believe this until I went, while well, I was helping out with Intask and the National Board Certification when it first became popular. The idea of videotaping and just analyzing it non-judgmentally, non-threatening. Let's just videotape because the videotape doesn't lie, but we are all in our own little bubbles intellectually as we're teaching and we're not aware this is going on and this is going on and this is going on. And every time I've done that, sit down with a group of teachers, we analyze one teacher's practice, what they're trying to achieve. They've written back, that's the best PD we ever did is to sit down and analyze each other's stuff. And then think about it because when you analyze somebody else, you're totally thinking about yourself. So maybe at first we analyze multiple teachers' video clips and maybe they're on teacher channels or, you know, YouTube or school tube or something. So it's safe and no political fireworks will happen. But then we go say, now we're going to do it with you. And, this. and so it's very it's small stepping stones. And I think that making the success, the turnaround in small stepping stones that can be acknowledged, humans love milestones, bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, merit badges, it, it, confirmation. You know, we, we have these milestones life and adults are just like that, that we have, oh, look, I was once here and now I'm here. So one of the greater gifts a principal can give a teacher and a teacher can give students is, let me show you where you once were. 
Look at the decisions you made along the way. And now you're here. We don't see that when we're caught up in the daily urgencies. And when somebody can provide the big picture, which again is a form of reframing and perspective building, I think it goes a long way to start moving people, or at least moving their, them along the continuum towards something they could one day be. I agree. I think almost everyone wants to be improved and be effective, but don't kid yourself that there aren't some people that that's, that's not going to be their, the itch that scratches them. It, it's just, don't kid yourself about that. The first thing you have to sort out, and I, and I say this, it sounds, it's actually very kind. It's just, you have to sort out, are people ignorant or insubordinate? So in other words, are you doing this because you don't know a better way? Are you doing this because you really don't care about the kids, the job, the school? Once you sort that out, then that's an easy thing. Let's think about something as silly, as simple as greeting kids in the classroom, greeting kids at the classroom. You teach teachers how average teachers greet the kids, how great teachers greet the kids, and how poor teachers either don't even greet the kids, don't even make eye contact, don't even smile, or, or what it is they actually do. You teach the teachers this, now they all know. Now they all know. And what's funny is you get to sort that out quickly, and that's a quick change. Think about assemblies. What are the best teachers? Teach your teachers this. Teach them all together. What are the best teachers do at assemblies? Sit with their kids. But which kids do they sit with? Random kids or which the kids that are most likely to enjoy conversing? What do your worst teachers do at assemblies? Stand against the wall, sit in the back, not even go in there. Teach your teachers at the first faculty meeting of the year before anyone's had an assembly. I don't, this isn't about the last assembly. It's always about the next assembly. Do I now have some sense of who wants to do the right thing and who doesn't? Because I'll be honest with you, if you're thinking of individualized instruction, project-based learning that's built around central brain growth for your teachers, you got some teachers that can never do that. They're not good enough. So if you, man, if you have that for all your teachers, they, they, the ones that try can't even do it because some of them don't have the skill. Greeting the kids, everyone does. I got to start there. I got to know that you care and try. And if you don't, I've got to not have you in my school anymore. Well, sometimes that insubordination is born of the ignorance. They don't know what to do, so they're insubordinate because they're just mad. And that's why I've got and, you're, so and they feel humiliated. Oh, sure. Yeah. So then we can actually always, work with that. I'll always teach you how to do it. Yeah, always. yeah, yeah. And, then, and I teach you more than once. I don't mean one time and we're done. I teach you over and over from different directions, different things. I have teachers do it. I do it this. But at some point, that's going to stop. That's interesting, though. You have the skill set to teach that stuff. Some principals will not have that skill set. Right. Uh, to, to move, so that's something that the principal is going to have to look at very thoughtfully about himself or herself in that regard. Absolutely. So I really appreciate both of your time today. Thank you so much. What is one thing that principals can start doing this week to be a transformative principal? Make every decision based on their best teachers. And you don't have to guess what they think. You have to ask them. They'll look you in the eye and they'll tell you the truth. You'll never, ever make a bad decision if you make every decision based on your best teachers because your best teachers have such a broad vision. They're not interested in what's best for me. They're interested in what's best for the school, what's best for you, what's best for the kids. So whenever you're going, are we going too fast? Does this make any sense? What do you think about this? How do you approach this? How was the faculty meeting? What do you think about this in my Friday focus? They will look you in the eye. They'll tell you the truth, and they're never part of the rumor mill. You have the solution in your school. You just have to sort out who are your superstars, and you have to understand the definition of superstars. It can't be your own. And then if you do that, you'll never make a bad decision, ever, if you just do that. And that you, luckily, you have that in your school. So that's the thing you can start on Monday morning. Before your next faculty meeting, run it by the best teacher. Here's what I was thinking about doing. Here's what I was thinking about saying. Does this make any sense? Is this going to be boring? Will people think this is stupid? How did you think this went? A kid gets sent. I'm 25. A kid gets sent to the office. I'd never sent a kid to the office when I was a teacher. I didn't know. I go to my best teacher and I go, I go, Jerry. Her name was Jerry Murphy. I go, Jerry, kid got sent to the office. What do I do? She goes, first thing is treat if it's a big deal 
even if it's stupid, because it's a big deal to that teacher. Second thing is always have a consequence. Even if the consequences sit there 10 minutes, what does that even mean? The third thing is always call the parent. Do not let the kid get home first. You communicate with the parent what happened. Fourth thing is get back with that teacher personally and tell them exactly what you did so they feel supported. How many principals wish they'd got that advice? And in your <laughs> and in your school, someone in your school was capable of giving you that advice. And it's but it's only the best. It can't be the average people. No, they can't they don't have that kind of vision. So, start there and I think you potentially have the sol- solve the problems every single problem you face in your school because that great teacher's already thought about it because they have that school-wide vision, if not worldwide vision, and average people only have their own classroom or their only assignment vision. It's one person, one person. You know, I really like that a lot. And I was going to say something very similar. To, to you go ask teachers for advice on how to handle something yourself, which is showing such respect for them that they are a part of this stuff and they have a voice in what's happening. That's just, it means a world of difference uh, to a lot of teachers. And that's something they can do very right away, the very first week to transform. But I also think that teachers or principals have to find meaning in serving others and they don't feel like it's, you know, I'm, I'm sacrificing something to work with these teachers. You know, it's a little bit simplistic to say, oh, I get to do this, not I have to do this. But do you truly value getting to work with teachers and helping them shine and down the road, something will come for you and re- reflecting on that just a little bit, you know, I get to do this stuff and this is a, a viable thing to me is one of the first things you can do. I don't think it's going in there and st- establishing a new edict uh, of some sort. That's never going to uh, fly at all. And the other thing is to, that can be transformative is to model the very thing you want to have the teachers doing and to model enjoying students company. It's kind of like this. It goes back to the reframing a little bit, but if a student comes up to tell you a story, it's not about you getting the story, being entertained, hearing the results, getting informed. What's going on there is the student found enough poise to connect with an adult in his life that he respected and he chose you. So what's going on there is the student is telling you a story, not that you're receiving and being entertained. So you don't think about your own state of affairs and I got to rush. I got to go get the coffee filled. The server's down. I got to deal with return a parent phone call. I got to figure out what's really going on here and helping teachers see that it was one of the first steps to create that, that transformation stuff. So I, I would agree with Todd, what a lot of Todd said, but I would just add that flavor to it. Well, thank you both so much for being here um, at the conference and for taking the time with me. Listeners, you can follow Todd at Todd Whitaker and Rick at Rick Warmly too. Very good. Yep. And um, thank you guys so much and appreciate your time and what you do for all of us. That was a really wonderful interview with those two. It was so cool to be able to talk to them and pick their brains for a little bit. And they still stayed after and had more conversation with me. And we talked for a few minutes before, and they're just so giving of their time. I really appreciate that. One of the things that I've learned doing this podcast is that there are so many wonderful principles out there, and we all have so much to share. And I hope that you find a way to share what you're doing. And if you'd ever like to be a guest on this podcast, please feel free to reach out to me at Jethro Jones on Twitter. Transformative Principal is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com to hear more great podcasts that will help you improve your teaching and leading.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.